We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal file petition with all football governing bodies to allow us to play Dundalk every week. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. A stirring performance from some of our uh, younger players, a comfortable 3-0 win, an attacking display that at times was quite vibrant, and I think it is only fair to suggest that we should be permitted to play Dundalk every week. Um... Or at least play teams that play as though they are Dundalk every week. I would accept that as well, especially starting this Sunday against Manchester United. So, bit of housekeeping. We're going to talk about that game. We'll quickly touch on the breaking news that Husfami is out at Arsenal, as reported by uh, James and the, the athletic crew, James Gunnerblog. James, James McNicholas is his actual name. James Gunnerblog uh, was his father. So, um, yeah, we will we will cover that. We will look forward to the United game and just generally have a peppy, uh, upbeat, and quick-moving Friday podcast for you so you can get on with your weekend and on to Arsenal 10, Manchester United nil. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC, hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. I do enjoy uh, throwing the intros to you at a moment that you're not expecting them and then listening to you I'll hustle to your mute button to get unmuted so that you can introduce yourself. And uh, and once again, I feel that I have caught you caught you cold there. Uh, kind of like a counterattack. Jamie Vardy... No, no, we're leaving that in the past. Um, hey, on Patreon, we did an instant reaction. If you want to get more into this match, we had the analytics pod out. Uh, we did a rewatch, a watch-along rewatch, where you can watch the game, the first half against Leicester, and see what worked and what didn't. Uh, and listen to Clive shut me down when I try to be critical of certain things in certain moments. We'll leave it at that. So uh, let's just quickly touch on this. So Clive Husfami out. I am not sure I can work up a lot of uh, interest in this story. So can we just kind of hand wave it away and just tell me, I mean, 
My my feeling is that Husfami isn't very good at um, his job, and that contract issues have been a problem at this club for a long time, giving players more than they probably should get on longer terms than they should get at ages when they probably shouldn't get it, having trouble signing uh, our young players. Saka nearly uh, seemed like a challenge. The Balogun situation is obviously uh, in the limelight again with him making his first team debut. So, like, I don't know that I think Husfami is any good at this, so I don't know that it's uh, not so bad that he is moving on. How do you feel about Husfami leaving? I feel nothing. In fact, it's, you think of all the people that have gone, he should have been maybe number one because if you want to look at Arsenal and say what are they defined by in recent years, apart from a bit of turmoil of Van Wenger and the change of managers, you'd probably say that our inefficient contract negotiation is probably right up there, right up there. And um, we're still seeing people take advantage of our poor negotiation, high-paying, high wages to players that didn't really deserve them, overpaying for people where we had no competition in the market. I'm going to say it's all down to him, but he's in the room. right? So um, He's in the room where it but, happens, as they say in Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. That, there, there's he's an expensive in the room. reference. He's in the room, and the way he was introduced to us is he came from, from Team Sky, you know, the cycling team, and they are known for being having a fantastic organization behind them. They're the first people to introduce me to marginal gains and everything around. They had some top people in all different jobs. And I was quite excited when he came on board. And then, but you look at the history, I'm sure we could all pull out five contract situations that we weren't happy with. I don't say it's all down to him, but, you know, I, I, for far I'm concerned, as I said on the WhatsApp, this is probably the last of the Venga boys that have gone, the last of the old regime. I don't think anybody else left. Um, and so we really are going through that that change and um, I still think there's a couple of hires to happen and it'd be interesting to see what we do with him and what we do particularly around analytics that's the interesting thing for me so mm. yeah move on can't wait glad move on let's get better at doing the role that he was doing let's get much better at it yeah I mean the funny thing is look we got rid of Raul that's great I'm thrilled we got rid of Emery that's great I'm thrilled we got rid of Hasfami that's great I'm thrilled we got rid of some of the scouts that we probably didn't need so we can modernize there that's great I'm thrilled uh the only issue is are we going to replace them with better or worse people because like I was thrilled when Gazidis left and be careful what you wish for motherfucker you know what I mean so um I, I think it is just a case of the cleaning house that is happening is mostly good, I would say, but cleaning house is only so good as what you replace in the house. Like, you know, if you fang shui it, but then, you, you know, you botch the fang shui, then you have bad fang or bad shui or what it, whichever it is, bad, bad uh, zen, that's not good. That's more Paul's area. We can talk about fang shui and zen on another podcast, the, the Arsenal Vision fang zen shui podcast. Um, okay, Tim. Let's talk a little football. Uh, that was enough Hasfami talk for uh, the rest of our lives. As, as far as the game goes, I mean, you said this on the Instant Reaction Pod, and I think you nailed it. This felt redolent of Wenger-era League Cup games. Uh, mm. Young academy kids shining, getting our hopes up, making us excited for what they could be, maybe even what they could be immediately in the first team against competition that... You know, you really have to run through Paul's Crapatron to kind of get a sense of how much to read into this. And so I'm curious, like, having had a day to digest just how bad Dundalk are, I, I'm trying to put into perspective the extent to which I'm excited by, in particular, the Reese Nelson and Joe Willock performances versus thinking, well, doing it at this level is kind of like doing it at the U23 level or, you know, doing it down the table. But 
Um, I still think those are players that look like maybe they could add something in a team that's struggling going forward. So were those the two that really stand out to you in this game? And how are you balancing their performance against the level of competition? Yeah, those are absolutely the two that stood out. And those were the two that I wanted to see performances from the most because um, those two play in positions which I think are of the greatest interest at the moment um, for the, shall we say, the first team. Um, Let's call it that. Um, and 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 probably in Ketia as well, to be honest. Uh, and and I feel like we didn't really talk about him in the instant reaction pod. But again, we probably didn't learn anything about him. But he, you know, he he kind of poked around and he got some chances in the six yard box, which is something we're not seeing a lot at the moment from our um our our actual st- our actual number nine, our starting number nine. Um, but again. You know the 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 competition might have something to do with that, and actually, uh, in hindsight, I'd like to have seen Lacazette play this game, um, just because he might have scored and it might have you know just given him that little confidence boost. But uh, absolutely, Willock and Nelson are the key takeaways. Uh, you know, as we said on the instant reaction pod, you know, I I don't think either of them because because of the what the quality of the opposition has done in terms of putting their performance in perspective, it means that, of course, they don't definitely start at Old Trafford on Sunday. But it might mean, you know, that Willock comes off the bench and it might mean that Nelson gets on the bench. That's kind of the next step because they're not both always in the squad at the moment. And I think what they've probably both done is force that a little bit. So, you know, baby steps, one step at a time. All of these Europa League games are quite close together. We've got another one on Thursday. So, you know... Uh, maybe they're both on the bench on Sunday. Maybe Willock comes on if necessary. And then they both start again next Thursday and they start again and they build their case for the inclusion in the next game against Aston Villa. And that that's where this period of the season is really, really handy for them because we saw at the end of last season, Arteta kind of moved away from the younger players um, in, in quite a big way. And that's continued into the beginning of this season. So this is a really crucial time for them to be able to build their case um, and and look, of course, the opposition was the opposition, but I don't I don't you certainly couldn't have asked for any more from Willock from Nelson, maybe a bit of end product. That was what separated their two performances. Really, they both did really promising things. It's just Willock looked more like putting the ball in the net and he did put the ball in the net. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd say that I'd say Willock in particular, just because he really offers something we haven't got. Nelson, we've got players like that. It's just they're not really playing that well um whereas willock i think is is unique in terms of his skill set and and i think he played like he knew that he played like he knew that this was a big chance for him uh to which i say fair play yeah fair play indeed um paul i mean do you want to get specific on you know how the these performances may have ramifications for the first team if at all you know i I went pretty big on Joe Willick in the um, instant reaction pod. And look, some of that is a little tongue-in-cheek given that I've been very harsh on Joe Willick. But I do think, you know, we have enough tidy, in-possession, tactical, positionally aware players in the midfield in Ceballos and Party and Shaq. And we played them all against Leicester and we saw what that gave us in attack. And really, I mean, it was just sort of um, impotent possession for long stretches of time. Now, to be fair, we did get some good stuff in the first half as well. I don't want to rule that out. But it's, it's the question of... 
to sacrificing some control, some awareness, some technique, some passing. I mean, look, Joe Willick isn't a great midfield passer. Joe Willick isn't a great off-the-ball defender. Joe Willick has a lot of flaws that I have been very vocal about, but I have come around to him arriving in the box in a very special kind of way to help the attack, that his play in the box is unique for central midfielders. And you say, couldn't anyone do this? Well, if anyone could do it, they would. They just don't. Um, So... You know, he may be a discount Ramsey, but discount Ramsey would be a big, big benefit for this team right now. So do you think that those kinds of skill sets can can translate to first-team level opposition? Maybe not a Manchester United, but bottom half of the table-type opposition. Um, or is that projecting too much based on, you know, where Dundalk really sits? I mean, let's be honest. They, they would get relegated from the championship, probably, let alone the Premier League. So how do you feel about that? Listen, you shite. The, the champions of Ireland... Well, I'd just like to give a little more perspective so we understand the gargantuan achievement yesterday. So you throw it in the crapatron and tell me where it comes out. Uh, they're they're shite. Okay. Um, <laughs> it probably scores a 2.5 out of 10 in the crapatron, but there you go. I had my family. They don't know me, my family. That I had them on the, the back channel, on the WhatsApp, asking me who I was rooting for, mm. the insane bastards. I told them I wanted to... Like, even if, like, each goal here just gives 1% additional for the morale of the team at the weekend. Like, crush the bastards, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, 10-0, not good. Also, I had uh, I had lunch in Dundalk uh, a few years ago, and I had a very disappointing soup and sandwich. So, like, fuck them, you know what I mean? Is this your way so, of, of making me forget my question so you can just talk about whatever's on your mind now? <laughs> so, I like Willock, mm-hmm. as we know. Um, I agree he's a little untidy and especially decision-making, especially as he gets up the pitch. I think he's been badly used in that we did that thing where we dropped him in as a 10, say, against Newcastle, where he was surrounded by eight or nine orcs and, you know, wondered a little why he didn't shine more. And really his job was to run around the orcs and keep them busy and scrap for balls and stuff. It wasn't truly the opportunity to be a 10. So he had this weird season last year where it was like five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there, uh, chasing around, being busy, pressing the opponent's back line. And I mean, it's been good. I'm sure it's been very good for him in, in some ways in exposure and being part of the team and, and feeling more at home, but it hasn't done much for his game. Whereas here, he and the boys had their chance to express themselves. And he reminded us, the boy's got skills. Now, he's raw. Uh, there, are th- His decision-making in the PL with a lot less time and only getting one or two moments a game to do something, you know, that that's what separates the boys from the men, quite literally in this case. So he's got some growing to do, but he definitely has something unique. Wenger was talking, was asked uh, recently in one of his interviews how he decides on whether they're going to... Bu- get in or develop a young talent. And he says he wants to see something that's unique. He didn't use the term superpower, but but we do around here. He wants to know being good isn't enough. You need one thing you can hang your hat on and you need a superpower. And Willock has legs. Um, like they all have legs, but some people have legs. And we really only have two players in this team. Well, you could add party, but that's not going to be his job. We have two players in this squad who have legs who could play in midfield, and none of them particularly do that for us at the moment. Maitland-Niles, if he ever gets the chance in midfield, has legs. 
He has recovery speed. He can get up and down the pitch. And Willock's the other one, and he is, he is from time to time getting his shot in midfield. So that could be significant. The thing about Arteta is um, it's going to be a long time before control isn't the most important thing to him. So I do kind of think Willock is one for the subs bench. Still doing a bit of a special role this year. Um, you know, when you have Willian talking about uh, Arteta and and how his game is being asked to be significantly changed and how he expresses himself and that Arteta wants him more positionally grounded, you can, you can imagine how far off the mark Pepe or Willian, or sorry, Willock would be uh, in terms of the kind of discipline that would get you into the starting or or occasional starting lineup for Arteta. Could be a tough ask for these players for a while. The one that I think has promise is Nelson, in that uh, I'm re- actually really surprised he hasn't featured more because he did seem to, in the early days with Arteta, be a guy who was, he was beginning to trust off the bench and for occasional starts. And, you know, he's got, he does have that calm, that presence about him. He does seem to be a guy who offers us something. Um, and he did seem to be a guy who was following out instructions and knew what was being asked of him and ex- executing it, whether it was from the left or the right. So I actually really think, uh, I don't know why there's been this kind of slight, it, 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 you can see that the, that it's kind of taken a step back in terms of the confidence or, or trust there. You could imagine this this summer that Nelson was kind of supposed to go on loan, but uh, maybe Nelson didn't really like the options that were available or the options weren't that exciting because a lot of stuff didn't get done this summer because it sure seemed like Arteta was up for Nelson going and was kind of, all right, if you really want to stay, you can stay and work for it. Um, So there's probably more to that story. I think Nelson's the one who could really contribute as opposed to the the Willock mode of last year of 10 or 15 minutes running around keeping the opposition busy. I do think the Enketia one, I'll just say a quick word on Enketia. Um, I thought uh, we didn't learn anything new about Enketia, but it did remind us that he's a really good fox in the box. He had two quick opportunities. The first one, he kind of fluffed and poked it uh, wide. Uh, I think it broke from... Uh, maybe Pepe, and uh, he didn't do enough with it, uh, but he was just inches off. And the second one was quite like it. It was the it was the fluff by the the their goalkeeper, um, but he was on that like lightning. Okay, you, it's not a brilliant goal, but he was sharp, alive, and definitely fox in the box stuff. The kind of the it would have been lovely if it was the first one he scored because I think that was the Pepe drive from distance, and it kind of would have been a nice finishing off. Uh, of a good move but hey we'll, we'll add the two together and get get a decent goal out of it but i thought he he reminded me of what i haven't seen for a little while which is as i one of you mentioned we're not getting enough balls breaking in the box enough chances uh enough activity in the box but if we did if if our if and spent more time in the box rather than doing the lacazette Firmino. Firmino role, I think our opinion of Eddie right now would be a lot higher. Mm. I, there you are. Yeah. Well, I'm going to save my opinion because no one wants it. Uh, Clive, 
what's the prognosis here? I mean, what 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 does this really mean for the first team, or does it mean nothing? Sorry, couldn't be yeah. there. Okay. Um, Caught you. You were expecting no, me to just, prattle on for minutes at a time, which I, just I didn't did click not. it correctly. I didn't click <laughs> it correctly, and um, so yeah, I think we we spoke at the start of the week, and I I sort of said that after Thursday we're going to have a bigger squad, and that's what's happened. We've seen two or three players that we've been reminded of that pre pre the season after lockdown. When we had the five substitutes, we were seeing quite regularly. Now we're back to three substitutes and a reduced match day squad, which Arteta has spoken about. We're seeing less of these guys that we were seeing little bits of, so they were fresh in our minds, right? So, um, which is a shame. I, I really did like that five sub rule. I wish it's even gone to four, because we see players like this more often, you know. And I think it's important, particularly with the top clubs, but. All clubs now are hoarding players and they're trying to find pathways for them and they can't always get them on the pitch. And the rules are stopping them getting on the pitch and I don't see any reason why they should. You would think you know, with the big push to develop young players in the English game, they'd have pushed like crazy to keep that rule in place, wouldn't you? Well, some of the teams did and some of the teams didn't. And some of the reason why some of the lower teams didn't is because they felt it favoured some of the bigger teams with their bigger squads. But let's be honest, all teams got big squads now. Now, everyone had a 25-man squad, eight homegrown players. I think it's just a, a, a small-minded reason to slow the bigger clubs down. And I think it was a poor decision. And it will manifest itself in changes in the game further down the road, which already we had a couple of versions of in the last few weeks. So, um, very small-minded. So, Joe Willett went from, you know, someone with probably the most appearances last year I've heard and read, and to someone that we've barely seen this year. He had 44, and I think it was tied with Aubameyang across all competitions. Yeah, so a lot of them from the bench. And so, yeah, what sort of it mean? I just think it satisfied a need for us. We were we were a bit cheesed off with our first 11, with our static statues standing there, standing on toes up front, not moving between the lines, not being brave, waddling backwards, looking slow. We were a bit cheesed off, or should I say I was a bit cheesed off with them. And so the young players came in and they were automatically going to be better for us because that's just the way we look at football. Um, if I look at them individually, um, I, I like them all. Right? I think um, I think Eddie made a p- real point of rolling off the front line early in the game and really being available. We'd like to say, look, look what I can do, look what I can do. I won't stand still and be really, really energetic. Bruce Nelson, Bruce Nelson was playing the game of his life, thinking, well, I've got one chance. I'm going to absolutely empty myself in wherever you put me. I'm going for it. I'm going to be really brave and show a desire to say, I want to be in this shirt. But Joe Willock's always been the one that's been most interesting for me because I've found it hard to work him out. So I did a bit of research on him, just my, my YouTube researches, and I was trying to look at what he is, and I just thought, well, what, what's he going to be? Is he going to be a... Is he going to be like a you know double pivot? Is he going to be a third midfielder like I've always thought Ramsey was? And I'm thinking, well, he's probably a third midfielder. Is he right or left? When he comes into the team, people think he's a 10. He's not a 10. He's not like Ozil or Ramsey, is he? So he's crap. And so, so we stick him on the right wing sometimes. We just put him anywhere. But the thing that made me think there's something there is if you watch any video of him, any montage, I want you to watch his first touch. His first touch takes the ball out of his feet, and it goes forward. So if it comes at him, he crosses it around the corner, forward. He tries to nutmeg people, forward. Everything is forward. It's risky, it's dangerous, but everything is forward. And when you see a player like that, 
that is quite exciting because lots of our players turn out and turn backwards. Right, so forget where he starts and where he ends up, where he runs. I want to look at that first touch. It's so progressive, quite skillful, quite risky, quite choppy. I think he's a lovely runner. We saw a great little dribble in the corner yesterday. I keep looking at him thinking, why are you, when he was younger, why are you playing so much? I don't see it. I don't see Why are you getting ahead of Maitland-Niles? Why are you getting ahead of Ben Sheaf? Why are you getting ahead of Marcus McGuane? Why are you playing ahead of these players? That's why I used to think. But slowly but surely, as he feels out, gets taller, gets quicker, gets faster, gets more brave, takes more shots, you start to see the potential. And again, I'm not sure what he is for this Arsenal team, but we all saw the game last week with the, with the three midfielders spread out in the line. Yep. <laughs> and we're thinking, and we're thinking, hold on, we've got better people for that role. You see what I mean? And I think Joe Willock has put his hand up and said, I can do the right side of that role. Thank you very much. I can do that. I can protect. I can drive. I can maybe stand 10 yards further forward. And if I can smell the penalty area, I'm going in. I won't stand out here. I won't be a coward. So I think he's put his hand up. Now, again, we're playing Sunday and the game is completely different. But I think he's put his hand up. He was in the squad versus Leicester. So he's close. He's in the squad. I think he's now maybe getting a nod to get the bib off and actually run onto the pitch soon. Yeah. And again, I, I think that Arteta has built a system that we've seen be effective in big games. What I would submit is that Arteta has not yet shown that he has a solution for the pack defenses so much. And while Dundalk's pack defense is not a Premier League quality pack defense, we saw what an extra midfield runner into the box can do. Um, I mean, just obviously numerically, but also just in terms of pulling defenders out of position. And so I think there is room for that. You know, Tim, the interesting thing is you look at Nelson and Willick's game, and you could argue that Nelson was better than Willick. And you could argue that Nelson in general has looked better than Willick. And you could argue that Nelson is a better player than Willick. But Nelson doesn't necessarily move the needle for us because I'd still rather have Saka than Nelson. I'd still probably, I mean, it's close, sadly, probably though rather have Pepe than Nelson or maybe even Willian. Again, close, but probably. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I want Aubameyang over Nelson. So Nelson being better than Willick is irrelevant because Nelson has a harder path to make a case that he should start a game. But yep. Willick has the case because the three midfielders in Ceballos and, and Party and Shaka are all samey, samey, samey in the same—I'm not saying same level or same exactly, but in terms of they're going to sit a little deeper, they're going to provide a little more structure, they're going to play passes that are a little longer, they're not going to get into the box, they're not going to be final third players. So, um, I mean, is, is that sort of fair to—, to to sort of look at it in terms of if the midfield three is Shaka, Ceballos, and Party, and we think one of them can be sacrificed, and for me it would be Shaka. I'm not saying like into a volcano, just from the team. Um, <laughs> then the path to playing time for Willick gets a little clearer in that mm -hmm. he adds a thing that is missing from that that trio. Um, you know, like El Neni, for example. Again, yeah. El Neni, perfectly fine, nice player. But is El Neni going to do anything that a Shaka or a Ceballos or a Party wouldn't do? Again, no. So he's the one sort of different thing. The other one wasn't registered for the Premier League or the Europa League, and I won't invoke the name for obvious reasons because hashtag my mentions. But so is, is that fair, Tim, that in the context of where our team is faltering yeah. right now, it's finding a, just a different characteristic in midfield. And while Nelson may be ahead of Willick in development, Willick has the benefit of offering something we're missing. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are there are three ways that young players get into first teams. Um, there's the rarest way is that they're like Fabregas, Rooney, 
and it's just like, oh my God, this guy's so good. I've got a game in the team, even if that means yanking someone out who's really good. Mm. Um, the second way is injury. Um, if there are a couple of injuries or in Ashley Cole's case, um, a passport that's <laughs> that's perhaps um, gone awry from one of your competitors. Um, so that, that's how Bellerin got in, for example. You know, Sanya left and then we bought Debushi and Debushi kept getting injured and they tried Chambers first and that didn't work and that's how his opportunity came. The other way is just doing something that doesn't that, that members of the first team don't do. And that's how Iwobi got in, for example. Um, Iwobi wasn't enormously highly rated from our academy. I mean, he he was rated, but no one was like, oh my God, th- this guy's definitely going to get through to the first team. He was rarely mentioned, but he he just happened to come through at a time when, you know, because all his injuries were starting, Rosicki was getting old, um, you know, Walcott was coming out of the team, Chamberlain, you know, was kind of in and out and we didn't really know where to play him. And Wilshire was getting injured. And so we needed a carrier and he did that. Um, he didn't necessarily quite do it to an elite level, but the fact that he did it made him valuable. And he got, you know, he didn't get a whole career at Arsenal, obviously, but he got two or three seasons um, in the Arsenal team just by doing something that no one else really did. And arguably, we still kind of miss it, even though I still think moving away beyond was the right thing to do. You know, we still kind of miss that little piece. I, In terms of um, Willock as well, I just want to read um, some quotes that, that have come out from Arteta today. And this really plugs into Clive's point about, because I, I think on one hand, we're talking about like Willock, like if we're looking at a path to 4-3-3 um, party, is a big, big piece of that. I think Gabriel's a big piece of that, um, a defender that the manager actually trusts to defend space, um, potentially. But, you know, Willock is very much, I think, I, I think he comes into the starting 11 con- conversation if we play a 4-3-3. Um, but, but some quotes from Arteta, which really spoke to Clive's point about intent being an issue with the attack. Um, He said, it's more about our aggression when we have the ball, our purpose, our aggression, our runs in behind. Mm. When do players take someone on and think, I have to make something happen? We want them to think about themselves, not him or him. We want them to take accountability. And that's that's really jumped out at me, particularly thinking of Joe Willock's performance, because that, you know, I said earlier in the podcast, it it looked to me like he thought... I, I see an opening for me here. I'm sat on the bench watching these games at the moment and I'm sitting there thinking I could change this. I've got the the skill set to change this. And it, it looked to me, I mean, maybe this is just hashtag narrative. I don't know, but it looked to me like he thought that th- this is a chance for me. I've, there's potentially an opening. Um, and, and he, and he, you know, he took it. Um, and, and that's, that's exactly it, Elliot. It, it's not always about who the most talented player is. It's whether you've got something that's missing from the team. Yeah. Whether I you mean, fit the room, whether yeah. you fit the room. I, I said after the Leicester game, if I'm Joe Willard, I'm training hard this week. Cause I think we'd all agree. He has something that this team is missing. The funny thing is this it's Sunday wouldn't be that wouldn't be the time for me. Cause in my view, this Sunday will fit more like what we've done where we can sit a little deeper, play out from the back, try to play around them in yeah. transition. So, so I think what Willick adds ironically will be less in need. Cause the, the, here's the funny thing, Clive, I view Willick as a sloppy midfield passer who is not particularly switched on defensively off the ball. Now before, hang on, before you come back, I'm not killing him. <laughs> you don't have to be good at everything. I think Willick can get into the box create extra threat, 
pull defenders out of place, and, and be effective in the box. And that is a wonderful, important skill. That's why I use discount Ramsey. I don't mean it as a pejorative per se. I don't think his technical level in midfield is enough to say he can play the United games, the City games, the Chelsea games, the Liverpool games. But I think those aren't the games where we've really struggled so much. It's the other one. So I, I do want to bring Paul back in, but do you want to assail me for that, for say, that viewpoint? Please, yes. Say, mm-hmm. Can I say one thing? And you often, you've heard me say it a few times, and I think Arteta sort of said it in a different way around. It's about your intent. It's your intention to play. And his intention to drive one direction it's a counterbalance to others in our team that want to do it another way. Do you see what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. having a balance of intentions and aggression and creative running and running to distract. Aaron Ramsey, I'll tell you now, Aaron Ramsey's a nice, tidy player. His real skill was off the ball. As simple as that. He's, he was off the ball, movement, timing, when to arrive in certain pockets, distract people. That was his skill. Right, and then he's arrived and suddenly the ball's back in there. You think, where the hell's he come from? You know, no way that skill on the ball. He's probably more skillful, a bit untidy at this stage of his career. I think Aaron Ramsey smoothed out as he went older and became more experienced. He went to just pop it and go and keep it a bit more and be a little bit risk averse. But off the ball, he was far more mature, far more sensible, picked up areas as he went older and became a true scorer. Joe Willock just has the balance of things that we need. And the reason why it's become more apparent is because Thomas Party's arrived. And you look at Thomas Party, you think, okay, this is all sorted there. I'm going. I'm not going to look there anymore. I'm going to look over here to either side of him. And they're not right. You know, Shaka's not sure that's right. Does the bias go to the left? Maybe. The right-hand side is open if you want to get to a three. If Shaka goes high and he's out of the way, we've got a slot there that's missing. Let me look around the squad. Who's the best fit? We don't trust Maitland-Niles. But Joe Willett just stands out. And sometimes you walk into the room and say, I fit this room. Here's my chance. And I think that's what Joe Willett should be doing. But it's quite obvious he's got something that the team needs. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, you, you don't have to be great at everything. The, the, one, the one area we take issue is I think Ramsey pre-leg break at a young age was more on the Cesc Fabregas trajectory than the Joe Willett trajectory. Like, I think he was special. And I don't know that Willock has, is a special young player. I think he's a player with some special skill sets. I think Ramsey was ahead of him. Look, that's that's a debate for another day. Yeah, we don't we have can to accept, We sure, can sure. accept that everyone's development curve is going to be different. Yeah, yeah. Clive, it's, I'm not using Absolutely. that as a cudgel against Willock. Yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, I don't think Willock... Here's my point. I don't think Willock needs to be Cesc Fabregas blended with Aaron Ramsey to play for us right now because we're not that good. I mean, like, let, let's be clear about where our level is. He can add something. I don't I don't want to turn this into the Willick in the Spotlight pod, mostly because our In the Spotlight podcast usually lead to the immediate demise of the player uh, in discussion. So, so let's not do that. But I will finish by simply saying, sometimes teams need a player that adds a quality. And a player who isn't even that special, and I'm not saying Willick isn't, but let's say he isn't, has the quality that team needs, and so he's useful in that moment. And whatever you think of Willick, special, not special, good, bad, or otherwise, the things we can probably agree he does relatively well are things that could be very useful. And there's quotes coming out from Arteta. Um, I just retweeted one, I mean, before we started recording, because I'm not on Twitter while we record like a monster. Um, And he says, I came to the conclusion that we have the respect from other teams for them to do that. Now we need to try to change our strategy a little bit and try to train against more certain blocks that I think are going to happen a bit more. We have made teams think. Um, 
his point, you know, if we do that, we'll be in trouble. So we have to do something else. And look, the, the point is, I think his quote is saying he recognizes that low blocks are going to be more common against us now and we have to learn to break them down. That, Did he mention toothpaste? If you do the tube of toothpaste. Because he's basically uh, talking about moving the toothpaste I, up I the am, tube. Let's I have the ability to mute you, and I've not used it previously, although it, it, it was warranted, but but I'm, I'm not going to now. Let, look, let's move on from the Willock debate. We'll see how it goes. But ironically, as, as much as I'm encouraged and think it can be useful, I don't think it's in games like against United because that's where I think the not-so-great passing and not-so-great off-the-ball defending would actually be more harm than the in-the-box running would be a help. Um, Paul, Pepe. Mm. I, in the instant reaction pod, I referred to him as discount Alexis. And I, I'm kind of growing fond of this analogy. I, I think the reason I like the discount Alexis analogy is that Alexis got a lot of stuff wrong, but boy, did he get some things right. And they were sensational and they won you games and they made you competitive and they could win you big games. And like, I think the thing with Pepe is he's got that quality, but the ratio is worse. Like, Alexis never looked like a terrible player, but there were times when it badly, you know, it just badly did not come off for him. Pepe, when it doesn't, looks like a, a, a bad player. Like, he physically can't play football. He doesn't know where his feet are. And then when it works for him, it's it's precocious. It's the kind of talent that jumps off the screen at you. And in the era of Twitter, in the era of, you know, two-second video highlights, this is the kind of player that fits this era because that goal he scores with his weaker foot in into the upper corner. Like you see that clip and you say, wow, special player. You watch the rest of the game and you say, does he know if his feet are on correctly? So I just think for him, it's about getting the ratio right. And it's easy to say he should do more good stuff than bad stuff. Great analysis there, Elliot. Thank you. I appreciate it. Worked hard on that. Um, but but I'm, I'm curious where, where you fall on this because Pepe should look like the best player on the pitch in that game. I mean, he really should against Dundalk. He's... He's, you know, the most talented guy in our squad, supposedly, in that team. And Dundalk are not really relevant competition for him. And yet, it's really only one moment where he sparkles. So, do you think that those flashes of talent are too few and far between for him to be regularly usable? Or, or is it that flash of talent that means you got to stick with him, play him more, get him in the right positions, and, and try to tease more of that out of him? The, I think the Alexis comparisons helpful and interesting because the thing about Alexis was I mean I I think he was a much more intelligent player uh in terms of what's going on within the team he might have been very selfish and very self-oriented but very intelligent as to the team dynamics but the thing about Alexis was um you would build your team around him because he was the best player and you can't do that with Pepe um, now, you had him and Ozil, but Ozil was kind of the complement to Alexis. Um, so it, it's a different problem. Having having somebody at Pepe's stage where he's not not nearly the best player consistently throughout the game or in big enough chunks throughout a game means you can't accommodate him. He needs to fit into the team dynamic, especially as we're now an even more controlled entity because that's where we're at at the moment. Uh, we were a lot more free-flowing, uh, creative, front-oriented with Alexis there. But even if we hadn't have been, you could have built everything we were doing in attack around him. Now we build it around Aubameyang. Aubameyang, in many ways, is, I consider him our free player. And our whole job within the front six is to get Aubameyang into positions where he can do his thing. It doesn't 
it, it's why I'm less worried about where he plays. Um, now, the, this comes back to Pepe, because the one thing he can do, and he has done a number of times, is find Aubameyang. Um, like, the guy can put a cross, whether it's onto Gabriel's head or onto Aubameyang's foot or head. He can, he can curl that ball in swinging from the right where the defense cannot touch it. Uh, um, to kind of when he's in form, when he has his eye in, he can put that ball uh, where nobody else can touch it defensively. Um, but the problem with Pepe is he's not kind of interest integrated into the team, think the team dynamic, the team way of playing, and because he's not structured and controlled on top of that. It's very hard for him to get a starting position here. As I said earlier, if Willian is struggling to adjust to Arteta's desire for control, imagine how far off Pepe is in training sessions and in matches from Arteta's idea of where he should be at any particular moment doing what he should do. Like it or not, uh, I think that's his real challenge here. He's he's not the most important player on the team. He's not a, a, a portion of the team uh, we will build around. He must build into the dynamic, and the dynamic is Aubameyang, and Aubameyang's on the far side of the pitch. We move Aubameyang into the middle of the pitch because Lacazette is kind of sucking lately. Form or physically approaching a cliff, we can debate, but I think most people would agree he's he's off these days. So maybe Aubameyang moves to the middle. I think Arteta's real issue with that is that's the one place centre-backs and the other team can camp and neutralise our most important player, and that's why he keeps him off to the left. He doesn't want him on the left. He wants him free to go wherever he wants to go. And I think that was the idea against Leicester. It didn't particularly work from the right, but but you saw Aubameyang popping up all across that front line at different times. He was basically a free player, um, and he wants the guy in the middle to be the grafter who gets marked, and Katia Lacazette. And so uh, for me, uh, until we get the toothpaste further up the tube so that we got we get Aubameyang into the box more often, free, um, you know, that's holding Pepe back as well because he can't uh, team up with him, catch up with him, hook up with Aubameyang and make him effective. And we're just, we're in this chicken and egg thing of until we get further up the pitch, 10 yards further up the pitch until we can control the game to Arteta's level of comfort. Now, we've just got Partey in. We've just got Gabriel firing. Unfortunately, we've just lost Luis, which I think was an important part of that. So we may need to kind of rethink over the next couple of weeks how we get that 10 yards further up the pitch. But we need three players in the box, not one, uh, when we're attacking. And then Pepe and Aubameyang will make a whole heck of a lot more sense. I just think Arteta is going to continue to be reluctant to have Aubameyang be the guy who gets marked out of the game by two centre-backs. Mm. Tim, the, the Pepe thing is is a debate that in, in some respects is, is already tired, but is important. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think he's reached the, the polarizing levels that we've seen some players reach. And I think that's because largely the fan base, even play fans that aren't particularly convinced by him know that it's important that he succeeds and, and sees the talent and, and wants it to work. Um, 
you know, I, I fall into the trap of thinking when I like a player that just if this one system change happens or this tweak happens or this substitution happens, it'll unlock the player. My, my latest hope is if you move Aubameyang central, it unlocks Pepe, you know, for all the reasons we've explored and, and, and some of the things that Paul touches on. So, like, do you think this is a case of unlocking Pepe? And at what point does it stop being about unlocking Pepe and accepting that <laughs> a mercurial talent who gets it wrong a bit more than he gets it right is what we have on our hands. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of um, the Pogba <laughs> debate that Manchester United fans have over and over again because they can see the talent of the player. Well, with one exception also, they... right? Pogba had a, a pedigree coming to United of winning everything yeah, and yeah. being the best player, you know, or arguably the best player in a league prior to arrival, right? Yeah, yeah. Although a lot, a lot of people who watch Juventus a lot would have, you know, would have said, this is not a guy that plays well for 90 minutes in every game. He'll give you moments. Um, And and I guess that's kind of what Pepe is um, as well. I I think Arteta spoke very well on Pepe. um, And again, the the clips kind of done the rounds quite a bit on social media, just where he talked about, you know, this guy's got lots of talent. He can provoke. He takes players away. It's just the consistency of the delivery has to be better. And, And that's, that's the thing for me. I mean, I, I, I completely understand the Alexis comparison, but even when Alexis didn't quite execute, I could see what he was trying to do. Sometimes Pepe just loses the ball because he miscontrols it or trips over it. Like it, it's a bit more Walcott sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't seem to be fully concentrating when the ball comes to him and he just takes like a sloppy touch and you think, oh, come on, you're much better than that. Um I think at the moment, regardless of what formation we play, this is just the player we have. We just have a mercurial player who, yes, he tries things. He frustrates me more than Alexis did because I could always see what Alexis was trying to do. And sometimes he missed it by a few inches or sometimes, you know, he was telegraphed because he was trying to hit a 35 yard pass and it had only traveled 10 yards. Um, whereas Pepe, I think he gets a lot more fundamentals um, and, and basics quite wrong. Um, but I I kind of am coming around to the idea that we might just have to wear that at the moment because we don't have an awful lot of alternatives um, and unless we can really play Willian into this team, who I think is a better player than he showed so far. Um, again, I don't think we're really using him correctly i think i don't think we use it like like sorry all this well talk yeah because he looks being, terrible <laughs> <laughs> well, all this talk of him being like a number 10 and a left winger he's none of those he's 32 he's never played well he's barely played in those positions he's always 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 been the most old-fashioned type of winger you give it to him and, you know, he'll drop a shoulder, go around the fullback and whip a ball in or go for a cutback. That, that is who he is. That is who he has always been. That is his superpower. And yet we're like trying to kind of get him into central areas. And, and it just doesn't work. That's not who he is. It's never who he's been. And, and I don't quite understand it. Maybe because um, we had limited transfer funds because we had to spend, you know, money on party and Gabriel. And it was kind of like, We've got no money for the attack. Who is the best attacker we can get on a Bosman um, whose agent happens to be friendly with our technical director? Um, you know, maybe it's that. But, uh, you know, we're, we're not using Willian correctly. So, like, who, who who do you want to unlock? Do you want to unlock Willian or Pepe? It's Pepe. 
because um you know he's the future really even though maybe pepe and Willian have got the same amount of time on their deals um i don't know but um but yeah like i i, I do think that that's just the player we've got at the moment but i you know just more and more i'm just thinking pepe saka abamyang as the front three there are three uh kind of best uh end product kind of players um and i think that Pepe scores enough that, you know, Aubameyang is good enough to carry a goal scoring burden if he has two creators outside him. But at the same time, Pepe still scores goals. Um, you know, his his scoring rate is decent. And, you know, to Paul's point is, as I said on the instant reaction pod, he's a brilliant finisher. There's not many shots of his that, that go wayward. Um, they're usually pretty well placed. He just strikes the ball but, beautifully. He, he's arguably the best yeah, ball striker yeah. at the club, honestly. <laughs> so the yeah, United but, game last year, I was just looking at the highlights. He scores his goal right fr- uh, from the middle of the box, but there's that other one he whips from from the, the edge of the box that hits the post, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just fucking perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's his, his superpower, right? I, I think I've yeah. kind of worked that out. I the thought whip. it would be dribbling, but it's yeah. shooting. And so, you know, maybe we want to have the discussion about, well, how do we get him into positions where he can shoot a bit more? And I think that that's, you know, if we play Saka to the left and he's more of, um, I think he can be more of a traditional kind of wide man, but he can also kind of come into those pockets. I thought what was really interesting about the front three against Dundalk was how close they were together. Um, If you kind of look at the the heat maps and the past maps, they're they're all quite, close together and I think that's something we haven't seen enough of because opponents have gotten wise to the Abamyang thing they've been pushing him wider and wider he's been having fewer and fewer touches in the box I, I think um, I think he's had something like 16 touches in the box this season mm. or something like that whereas Salah's had like 60 plus for Liverpool so that tells you that teams have gotten wise to it and they're just pushing him wider and wider um, and, and really I think what what I'd like to see with a Pepe Saka, a Bamiang front three is a bit more what we saw against Dundalk. Just the three of them like nice and close together and let the fullbacks provide the width. And with Gabriel and Party in the spine, you know, there should be a bit more protection there too. You know, uh, slightly more athletic players who are who are smart enough to defend space as well. And, and I hope that that's important of kind of where we're going, you know, um, just to have that front three nice and close together. Because to Paul's point, Pepe and Aubameyang have combined for an awful lot of goals, just not this season. Um, but if you look at the back end of last season, that whip from Pepe to the back post to Aubameyang brought a lot of goals. Um, and and I just think if we can get our front three closer together, like they've all got a good relationship. Saka and Aubameyang have a good relationship. Pepe and Aubameyang have a good relationship. And, you know, we and we saw last night, like Enketia, Nelson, Pepe, th- this is not a front three we've played together very often, but we got them nice and close together. We saw that combination play. We saw that one-touch play. Willock running in behind as well and, you know, knocking smart balls around the corner. You know, it it just it 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 just it looked weird almost last night because I thought, oh, I forgot we could do this. I forgot we could do like, you know, pop the ball about on the edge of the box and try and take teams out of position. And 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 I really hope that that's kind of, um, you know, almost like a like a a foreshadowing of what will happen with quote unquote the first team. Yeah, look, I mean. If we were an attack that was humming and everything was about automatisms and one touch and playing 
in a very coordinated fashion, Pepe might be harder to tolerate being in the team. We are not that, and I think a lot more of what we're doing is going to rely on individual brilliance. And Pepe's a guy that if you said, we'll play him 90 minutes every single game for the rest of the season, I still figure he's a one-in-two kind of guy, a goal every two games. I mean, you just you just feel like the guy's got a goal in him. You play him for 90 minutes, and he'll do a lot of dumb shit that doesn't work, and then he'll score a, a, a beautiful goal or whip in across and put it right on the head of someone standing on the line. Like, I just, I, I can't help but think that he's someone that you want to give the minutes to because ultimately he will do the things that win you a game enough to make up for the errors, similar to Alexis, but, you know, not at that peak level. He's not going to score 25 goals, but maybe he'll score 15. And we would absolutely take that. You know, if you throw in another six, seven assists, especially. So, yeah, I I think we're going to have to find a way to tolerate him. And Tim, if if Willian's superpower is pushing it past pacey fullbacks and running past them and whipping in crosses, then I would submit that 32 years old is the wrong time to buy that kind of player. But that's a debate for, or sign that kind of player. It's a debate for another time. Clive, I want to end the talk on this game and and look forward to United, but I I don't want to freeze you out of the Pepe debate. So just like, um, you know, I, I, I think... Again, much like Willock being a, a player who can add something to a team that is in need of it without being fantastic, do you agree with the argument that Pepe, while getting a lot of things wrong, has the ability to do the really, really special stuff that we need so we kind of have to tolerate the wrong stuff and have him in the team? Yeah, just just give him the ball and, and stop giving the ball on the outside of the team. Um, I think the key thing is, is starting position. Um I don't think Arteta's got to the front end of the pitch yet. I think a lot of the quotes uh, have been around getting used to playing against deep blocks, and I just think he's just structuring his team. He hasn't moved forward yet. He hasn't prioritised our forward as part of the pitch. For him, for me, I think just getting there. And I've always getting liked Bellerin with him, right? I mean, that's when he's looked best when the yeah. two of them start doing some triangles. Yeah, he just needs people around him and partnerships, and and I think it's. I was looking forward to party coming and being on that right-hand side, you know, on the right-hand side of a double pivot and maybe going that direction. If you think back to all of the Pepe moments you can remember since he signed, I bet I guarantee that most of them will, will be almost between the, the goalposts. You know I mean, almost all in the penalty box. He's just really quite good when he gets near the goal. I think he, I think things become clearer to him. We seem to be playing with this almost this V pointing upwards with a V, a Lacazette at the base of it, and then them two high, but they're never really high. They're not high like Liverpool players are high. So why we just turn it around, turn the V around, and just put Aubameyang at the tip and have Saka and Pepe creating in normal and create a square behind them, you know, in the square with a two deep double pivot. If you want to have a 10, then he floats in between them. If you don't have a 10, you go with two wing backs and do that. But give him a role, give him a creative role, give him a role to do wall passes with our superstar forward. And I guarantee you those two are smart enough to develop a way of scoring a lot of goals together. I do think while we're developing the team, just simplify it. And I always like players like him because the goal he did, uh, the goal against Dundalk, sorry, the goal he did. <laughs> the goal he That's did like saying I would Dundalk. say. <laughs> um, well, we we watch football a lot, didn't we? Did any did any of us see that coming? <laughs> I mean, that sort of stuff is the stuff you invested. It's Which is wrong foot. Just like where the hell did he even get that idea from? You know, let alone execute the way he did. It was a jaw dropping moment, and when a player can do that, why don't you give him the ball in those areas more often? And why don't you, as a coach, get him in those areas more often? 
Get him near the goal. When he's near the goal, we all feel the same, that something could happen. And um, I'm prepared to to take some of the rough stuff um, just so that we can uh, see some of the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's also just about the attack being more near the box, in the box, around the box, being in dangerous areas. I was talking to Scott on the analytics pod, um, not to give that away for free, but here, let's do a free teaser. You know, Scott was saying that a, a sort of proxy for the XG model is the deep touch model, right? The touch is close to goal model. And that sometimes the touch is close to goal model can can give you a reasonable proxy for XG. That's a bad way of saying essentially that you can look at how a team, how many touches a team gets in the box and near the goal. And that can tell you a lot too. Um, well, just to kind of give you an idea of where our struggles are, guys, our number one like player in terms of touches in the penalty area is Lacazette. Pepe, I think, is is third or fourth at like five touches in the box per game. Aubameyang is averaging three touches in the box per game. You want to compare that to Mohamed Salah? Anybody got a guess for how many he gets? He gets almost 10. It's like 63 <laughs> overall. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, almost 10. 9.67 touches in the box. Sadio Mane, 8.98. Diogo Jota, 10.5. Right? So the funny thing is Firmino and Lacazette get almost the exact same number of touches in the box. Okay? So that that Firmino role we talk about, fine. But the guys playing off of him, Pepe, Aubameyang, Pepe's got five. Oba's got three. That's one third, less than a third of what Salah gets. So, I mean, you're just not you know, executing. Do you, do you know why that is, Elliot? I'll think about it today on my walk. I haven't yeah, the foggiest idea, Clive. Please tell me. Well, I'll I tell you what, I tell you what, and this comes back to what we said the other week, and we we have to move our team forward, right? So the way Liverpool play, they're playing, they play territory football, they're playing your half. The first thing they do for kickoff, they whack it forward into the corner, get you into their half. Well, they win it off they you high, you which we don't do. We don't even they try to you, do. They give you the ball, but then basically they switch play, they switch play size to size, good team go into a block, and they stay there, and they put the ball into areas. They put the ball into areas, and they, they literally say, we're going to have a numerical advantage over you up here. And we are going to leave it to a two at the back because we've got two really fast defenders right on the halfway line. And we're going to gamble on the, on the VAR line to look, get us out of trouble when he goes offside. But we're going to overload, overload, risk. If we lose it, we're going to get it back really quickly. So they're playing in areas where their players are getting the ball, touching the ball where they like it more often. We, we are not playing in the right areas. We are we are playing in our own third a lot more. And so we have to move the team forward. So we, it's almost like it's unfair to compare, but it does highlight a point. I, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing it. It highlights a point that we're not getting our better players into those areas, yet we're judging them the same. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to change this. So we're still developing this. I hear what Paul's saying in the background. We're still developing a way of playing We'll still develop the structure. We haven't moved this team forward yet. And if anything, we've been more successful when it's been backward. Yeah. When, when we're forced to go forward, then I think we struggle. That makes sense. Look, I'm not um, smart, but I know that if your penalty box striker in Aubameyang, who is a guy who used to be a 1xG per 90 guy, used to average one expected goal a game, that's pretty good stuff, people is getting three touches in the box a game, you're not using him right, and you've got to tweak it 
just, you know, but to your point, Clive, it's just the whole structure has to move up. The whole team has to play higher. It has to compress towards the goal. Okay. Um, I tell you what you need to look at, mate, from a data perspective. Well, I'm sure not you look at, but we, happy position on the pitch. What's our happy position? Where are we? Mm. Passes in certain thirds. What we're doing in certain thirds, and where just where where's that happy position? I guarantee you, it's it's deeper than where it should be to get what you want to get. Mm. However, then we're asking ourselves two different things, which is pass through teams, and we saw Leicester. And I know they've scouted us and say you're not passing through us. We're going to let you have it. Come and get us. Do you see what I mean? It also and isn't City helped by FIFA's, way. Yeah, FIFA's ban on accessing Zone 14, which I, I still think they need to reverse that. Um, so, Tim, <laughs> enough. Let's talk Manchester United before we get out of here. We go to Old Trafford at, you could argue, the worst possible time. <laughs> They've just beaten Red Bull Leipzig and uh, and everybody's favorite coaching darling, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, 5-0 in the Champions League. Um, I mean, I, I don't particularly rate this United or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but there's no arguing that they're in a pretty good moment. And I mean, it is easier to play the game when you know you are going to get one penalty per 90 or more, which uh, with Mike Dean in charge, I would say it's going to be more. Setting aside the fact that we're going to have to overcome multiple penalties awarded to them, um, I, I don't love the timing, but I'm still not super scared of United. Is the fact that they're at Old Trafford and they're coming off a big victory and they're feeling probably pretty confident maybe, maybe, maybe just going to play into our hands in the sense that we can play more of our Manchester City, Chelsea, FA Cup approach of sit back, kind of lull them into coming on to us, play around them, and and the more quick strike stuff that that has worked as opposed to the possession stuff that hasn't. Yeah, definitely. That that that's when you're talking that that was exactly what I was thinking. Actually, I was thinking uh, actually maybe it's a good time to play them because maybe you know they will be enthused. I I think this is this is one of the things that perhaps um, we don't talk about enough in kind of football analysis is what's just happened to our opponents. So I was thinking this about Leicester. Leicester lost the last two games before they played us. Which, which really informed their approach, their kind of ultra-defensive, cautious approach. And when we played Manchester City in the home game before we played them, they lost 5-2 to Leicester. They shipped five goals in the last half an hour, which again, I think, really informed their approach and meant that in that last half an hour when we needed to chase the game, they were, they were very, very secure, probably more so than usual. Um, and and these like historical or recent historical data points, I think, are really really important. And how many times have we seen it with Arsenal? Um, you know, there was that Manchester United game a few years ago now, where we just lost five one at Anfield, and then we went and played a really boring nil nil draw with with United, uh, David Moyes' United, because we just lost five one. And and sometimes those things. Like for the situation we're in at the moment with our troubles with deep blocks, I would rather te- play a team that's just won five nil than perhaps play a team that's just lost five nil and or or has just lost a couple of games, thinking, oh god, we've got to be really cautious here. Um, you know, and you can see what Chelsea are doing at the moment because they're conceding too many goals, so they've had two nil nil draws, you know, back to back nil nil draws, and that's entirely informed by the fact that they're conceding too many goals. So, when you play teams, is is I, I think really really important, and and yeah, I completely agree. I think you could really argue that actually that makes this quite a good time to play Manchester United because. You know, if their if their tails are up or if they feel the pressure to really dictate the game to us, um, I think that could play into our hands. What what I will say though, maybe to temper that a bit, is that I 
you know, I don't think Manchester United are winning the Premier League or the Champions League with Solskjaer um, as manager. Well, to be fair, they might win the Champions League just because um, quite a few of the super clubs are in terrible shape at the moment. Tim, I don't want to ruin it for you. They're, they're not but... winning the Champions League because uh, <laughs> if they played Bayern Munich, my 10-0 prediction could well, happen to them. So, Yeah, yeah, but like Bayern... But but you wouldn't say that about like Real Madrid and Barcelona um, at the moment, but Bayern definitely. But like they're not going to win the Premier League, I don't think, with Solskjaer as manager. But one thing he's shown a real aptitude for is setting up for these big games. Um, and it's not at first. I kind of thought that was just because United are quite handy on the on the counter attack and they struggle to do anything else. But I I think maybe it's it's a little bit more than that and Solskjaer deserves a little bit more credit I, I think he's quite good at looking at other teams setups um, it's just that doesn't translate as well when the other team's setup is you know 4-5-1 for example because um, there's not there's not many bones to pick out of that um, so yeah I, I, I think it could be a, a really good time um, to play Manchester United actually and you know, it's it's funny um, how quickly the mood changes. If this game had happened a couple of weeks ago, like when we went to Anfield, for example, people, you know, do you remember what people were saying before that game? They're saying, oh, well, we might get a draw here. Um, yeah, you know, people I, I were people giving buoyant. me shit because, because I thought a draw would be a good result. And they're like, no, they, you know, we, that's the problem with Arsenal. We, we don't think we can win shit. We need to go and win. I'm like, good God. Yeah. And the reaction to the, performance afterwards a lot of people are still convinced they were there for the taking because they were there for the taking the next week i mean okay maybe yeah yeah exactly and 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 so yeah like it you know like i said on the instant reaction pod it really doesn't take very much to go from almost ludicrous positivity to ludicrous negativity um but if this game had happened a few weeks ago i think a lot of people would fancy us just because of what what we've done in some of these big games and look that they're big games right they're always decided on on they were they usually decided on small margins you're not going to win them all um but you know, we've we've perhaps had Man City and Liverpool where it's not quite gone our way. So, you know, I, I think this will be a really close game and I think it will be decided by one goal. And Lord knows it's about time that that, that one goal, that, that that deciding point went Arsenal's way at Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah. Well, from your lips to Mike Dean's ears, I mean, I... I... I can't help but fear the worst from a refereeing standpoint. I, I, look, Tim, I know you have no time for refereeing controversies or conspiracies or anything, and, and I, I don't particularly have that either. It's just the track record right now, the number of penalties they're getting and their willingness to go down the box and the, the extent to which it almost seems like a game plan along with a referee who loves to give them uh, is a concerning recipe there. And, you know, Paul, right now it's more interesting, I think, to discuss the attack and how we set up to attack Unfortunately, maybe more necessary to discuss the defense. I don't know who's going to be fit to start this game and how he's going to want to go. But apart from Gabriel, I mean, I assume he'll go with the back three with Tierney and Gabriel. Do, do you have a, an inkling of who who's going to be there with him? Would he, will he go with Mustafi? I mean, it was an inauspicious return to the team against Leicester, I felt. Uh, but is that pretty much the only option he's going to have in your view? I think so. Uh, and he's got performances from Mustafi in the past and we're going to be sitting a little deeper uh, very possibly so uh, it may simplify the role you know the, the challenge for him with Leicester was he came in cold in the second half 
and the role was part uh, attacker. I mean, he was playing as a midfield on the right for part of the time and then having to be in position on the counter and this shit. So it's like it's a it was a very ill-defined, nebulous, grey role, uh, role, which is not exactly what you want for your first game back. Um, that's not a great way to come into it. So, you know, maybe he'll be a little, little calmer, a little bit more in tune with Gabrielle, who's the new boy, but was calling the shots. I mean, there was a lot they had to work out between the two of them. You know, Gabrielle calling the shots. From, uh, like, we could get into the old Gabrielle pointing and uh, about where Mustafi debate might be, because I have some maybe contrary thoughts on that. But you could certainly understand that it took them a while to get used to the new power structure that actually Gabrielle was the guy calling the shots. So they'll have had the week to work on it in practice. It'll be better. The The job may be much better defined in that we'll be sitting deeper, staying compact, staying controlled. And Mustafi has, has uh, done well uh, as he's progressed under Arteta. So it could well be Mustafi, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, so Clive, we'll finish with you getting the last word on the on the most important stuff, which is where we do sort of with the with the more interesting part of the pitch, the midfield and attack. I I don't see him being able to go back to um, the midfield three he used against Leicester. Now, again, I acknowledge this will be the opposite kind of game. We'll be sitting deeper and trying to spring counters more often than we were pushing them back like we were against Leicester. But I still just don't see that trio adding enough variety uh, to our play um it just feels a bit redundant maybe he won't see it the same way obviously because he's you know the coach and smarter and has experience and knows stuff and has great hair to be fair i have some hair um but clive uh i mean what what do you what do you think he'll do what would you like him to do there i you know i mean i'm really specifically curious i think with shaka because he played the center of a, a back three against dundalk i think arteta knew that we wouldn't be defending much and it gave him an extra uh passer you know deep in the team but like he's he's not going to do that against united so is Shaq the one who maybe gives way or do you think we could see that that same midfield three again i don't think we've seen the midfield three i think he's going to go back to the old school cup winning system with maybe Saka on the left and going to you know the hybrid three back three back four back five and i think he'll play a double pivot i think he'll be Shaka and party um I think it was Saka and Bellerin on the outside. And I still think he's going to go with um, Lacazette and Bamiang, but I just think Pepe will play due to uh, just taking that read, read from the substitution the other day. Bang on the hour, which tells me we're saving your legs, mate, for the weekend. And I think if you look at our history with that system, we've got some good results. I read somewhere that we played the 4-3-3 five times. We lost four of the games. And I'm, I still think we move in and out of shape when we do that anyway. So, whereas that system has done well for us, we're going away from home. We, you don't re- Manchester United in the last game played a diamond, which I think is really interesting. So I actually think the wing back system is perfect to kill a diamond and stretch that diamond out flat. That's what you want to do and make them mid force it. The mid's going to areas they don't want to go to. So I, I'm happy with that. I'm I'm happier with I'm not so cool with inverted wing backs. I want them to like push our forwards inside, as Tim alluded to earlier on. I don't want them doing that. I don't mind that in the 4 3 3 you leave one of your full-backs back and then he inverts and, and worries about the counter-attack. But when we're playing wing-backs, be wing-backs. Push up, get your forwards inside, work up and down. When you get tired, get substituted. Very, very simple. So that's what I would do. I'm not sure if Solskjaer is going to play the diamond in a league game. 
I think he did it in the in the European Champions League game because it's a little bit of a, a nice thing to do to get his four centimetres in because he was struggling, just getting a bit of stick. It seemed to work. If he does it again, I think we'll eat him. I really do. Um, we just got to be prepared to maybe sit a bit deeper in this game and and spring, and that suits us. So do the cup final thing. Do the cup final thing. It works for us. I'm not a fan of Lacazette at the moment, but we can start with him. He's a good player for 40 minutes and then take him off and maybe add something else, maybe add a Willian and, mm. and add some more creativity and do, do something that way. That's what I would do in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of things that have been said. I think what I would do, and I'm surprised none of you have said it because it feels like something that would be obvious, but sometimes you guys are you know, thinking of things three steps ahead. I would win the game. I think that is like the thing that if, if I were the coach, that's what I would try. So, you know, you guys can do all the stuff you talked about, sure, but I, I would win the game. I think that's probably the best tactic and, and hopefully one that we will employ. Um, I think we can leave it there. Uh, it, it's a huge game. We'll have the instant reaction after it. We might even have uh, some live content leading up to it. Uh, no commentary during it, but, you know, how much of us do you want jammed into your ears and faces? Uh, probably less than you already have. So, uh, pause on Twitter, pause on my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. That's Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter, Stroberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as there always. It was with the mute button. Uh, please sign up for our Patreon. There's there's so much stuff there. There's there's scouting of Thomas Party and there's videos of us watching the second the first half of Leicester game and and rewatches and instant reactions and we would just love to have you there. And if you can't, we're just thrilled to have you here. So either way, it's fine. Uh, no time for ad breaks today, but certainly if you want to shave your privates, do it with Manscaped stuff because the lawnmower is awesome. Anyway, uh, big game, big game at the weekend. A win at Old Trafford. We're overdue for it. Mike Dean is to see you next Tuesday, but you know what? If he gives us a penalty, I would kiss that bald head of his through the screen. In any event, we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal. 10 United Mill.